Hello and welcome to this week's episode of New Life Church's The Rewind Podcast. I'm your host today, Pastor David Sankster, and I'm here with my co-host, Michael Sipek. Hello, everybody. Or should I say, uh, Reverend Michael <laughs> Sipek. It's been a big weekend for you. Yes, it has. Yeah, um, Michael got his ordination this weekend, and uh, now he's a full-fledged reverend, so uh, this is exciting. And today, I get to host because uh, Michael got an opportunity to preach on Sunday, and he uh, took the series that we're doing in church, The Story of David, and he uh, brought it to the next uh, next phase, and I want to talk to him, and I have so many questions today. I have so many things to go over because I was Let's just... Him. Yeah, I was excited. So um, uh, this is what we're going to do. You know, this podcast is here for us to be able to expand on the sermon from the week before. Uh, as you know, when we're crafting sermons, you know, you gotta, you only have a, a finite amount of time to give it. And a lot of things hit the cutting room floor that are very interesting, but just, you know, always, we'd be like three hour sermons if we put everything in there. So that's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna pick some stuff up off the cutting room floor and kind of roll them around and see where we go with them. So, um, you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So my first question was uh, kind of based around the where you started and and the concept of David, the story of David coming on the heels of the book of Judges. Uh, we have this story of Saul. We have this story of David. But in the book of Judges, we have this uh, very end of the book, we have this little line that says that there was no king in Israel. Right. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What do you think that meant for that culture? And how does that kind of connect with our current culture today? Well, we always have to keep in mind that, um, we've said this before, we're not the culture that the Old Testament was written to. But the wisdom in that line, Mm -hmm. I think, cuts across all cultures, all peoples of all time. And... We actually can draw a lot of parallels between a culture of people that had no king, and now we live in a country of people that proudly have no king. king. So in that way, we, and again, this is just a loose comparison, but we almost elect our own judges as opposed to God-appointed judges, and these were the they were like the um, the middle management between the real king God and the people. Yeah. And we kind of do that in our culture here. So I wanted to start there because that line, everybody did what was wise in their own eyes, that is, as they say nowadays, a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. If you think that you have all the answers, all the moral uh, high ground or whatever, you're probably about to walk off a plank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the people were so wise that that's why they said, we don't want this judge system anymore. It, it isn't working. Mm-hmm. And they that's when they requested a king. So I thought that was important that the reason we have David in the first place, why we even care about his story, is because people generations before him mm-hmm. demanded um, such a person in their culture. I think it's interesting because if you look at the timelines between the judges and David— um, I mean, we have the story of Samson right mm-hmm. at the end of the book of Judges. And we can see that the judges themselves, even though they were mightily used by God, 
they had some problems. I mean, they really, I mean, David grew up, think about this, David grew up on stories about yeah. Samson. And uh, the book of Judges, what's interesting about it too is, that's not really the kind of, let's put it this way, I would feel uncomfortable preaching and teaching on a book like that in front of children. <laughs> it's true. It's, there's <laughs> it's that, very true. It's that, um, there's that much going on that would kind of yeah. like, hey, cover your ears. You don't want to hear this. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty brutal and a, it's pretty. A woman explicit. does get chopped up and yeah. sent out in the mail in yeah. that book, <laughs> in essentially, the mail. <laughs> essentially. Like that does happen. It, it is, it is pretty brutal. And so you might want to say, well, is that a failure on God's part? Mm-hmm. Well, because he's, well, he's the one who, um, set up that kind of government. Right. But, even Samuel's sons were not doing what was right. And so that brings us to David. The, the reason we got Saul in the first place was because the people were like, Samuel, you know, you're going to pass this judge thing onto your children and they, they're, let's put They're it, terrible. They're, they're bad. They're yeah. bad people. We don't want them. And I, one more thing I want to say, because I really believe this. When the people said, give us a king, this was not like, um, when the founding fathers here wrote the letter to King George, Right. And they said, we're not happy with the political system. This was a religious yeah. uprising. Mm-hmm. This was um, an apostasy that was rising amongst the people. And that is why I, I likened it to a judgment of God. Mm-hmm. Because while the people living under the judge's form of government or whatever you want to call it, it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. But God was still their king. Mm-hmm. And there was always room where God had a plan for his people. And then when we see the people, when they when they requested a king, what they were really requ- requesting was this living under a pagan system. Yeah. And this was... As a substitute God. Right. And when we see people, basically what they're saying is, we don't want to be special. Mm-hmm. And that's such a painful thing to see, like... Mm. Um, I think if you've ever been like a teacher mm-hmm. or a coach or a mentor, mm-hmm. and when you see someone who is special, but mm-hmm. they actually just, they don't even want to be special. Or like if you're a big sports fan, you yeah. see these guys who have immense talent, mm-hmm. and then they either they they party themselves they out yeah. of a league or they eat themselves out of a league, and you say, well, you know, it's so sad when That's a good word. when people special people reject their ability to be special. Mm-hmm. And that's how we end up with the king. And I really believe that, um, as much as we don't like to talk about it nowadays, that the king wasn't God saying, okay, better plan. Mm-hmm. It was actually a judgment on the people. Absolutely. So God, Samuel says that. Right. So God gives them a king. Yep. He gives them Saul and David. But he also gave them Babylonian kings mm-hmm. and kings from Persia. and king. These people lived under not even their own kings in their history. They lived under these foreign wicked kings going forward the people wanted a king yeah he gave them nebuchadnezzar he gave right. them you know um these different kings that came and conquered them it wasn't even their own kings that right. he gave them so so what you're saying is that any substitute king for god is going to be bad it's going to be bad. it's going to be worse because that king is going to in, uh, have the same flaws that any other person has. They live in a sinful world. They live under this curse of sin. And it's always going to be an influence on how they see the world. Even right. even the best of right. all kings can only see the world through like From a, their perspective. Through their perspective, which yeah. is a, a sinful, dirty mm-hmm. mirror. Mm-hmm. And um, 
So God gave them exactly what they asked for. Exactly. He gave them exactly what they asked for. And I think the modern translation of what I think you said it on Sunday, the concept of um, doing what was right in their own eyes is this concept today of living your truth, right? Living your truth. Just living your truth. There's no objective uh, standard for what is right and what is wrong. We're just going to do what's right in our own eyes. We're going to live our truth. Let me ask you this question. Is it ever, <laughs> is it ever a good thing for God to give us exactly what we want? Probably not. Probably not. I can't think of one. Yeah. Um, and we have to differentiate a little bit. Like when we have time with God and we pray and we, and we say, you know, God, I'm praying for this thing. If it's in your will, can you, can you do this for me? God, may give you mm-hmm. exact the desire of your heart whatever you ask like for yeah. or whatever but but we have to remember too when we're talking about big picture where any group of people who think that they're kinder than god mm-hmm. um, more just than god mm-hmm. more organized than god it is always heading for disaster yeah. and and many times uh, i mentioned it a bit I called it a Romans 1 judgment because I just want to read a verse here. Romans 1, uh, verse 24 from the CSB. Therefore God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie Mm -hmm. and worshipped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. So for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions and so on and so forth. And a lot of times when we see God's judgment just looks like him handing people over to exactly what yeah, they want. Yeah, you want to live your truth? Go for it. Go ahead. See how that works out for right. you. And the worst thing that can happen to a culture before we move on is when God says, okay, then I'm out of here. Yeah. When he removes his hand of justice and love from the culture, Oh yeah. it makes me think of... It's probably not a direct line, but when Ezekiel sees God fly away almost from mm-hmm. the, the, the temple, right? he's, he's, I'm out of here. I'm out. And now you're going to have to deal with your king who has almost unlimited power. He has the right to act like God yeah. without the heart of God, yeah. and that's a disaster for these people. When we look at the New Testament, when, when we see things like God will give you the desires of your heart, um, I think uh, we've got to be really careful with that, not take that out of context, because... We as Christians are trying to develop in ourselves the heart of God. The closer we get to God, the closer our heart will align with God's will and God's desires. Mm -hmm. So God has able to give us the desires of our heart as we line our hearts up with his desires. And I think that's a very important part of praying those types of prayers. Like, God, give me the desires. Well, you better make sure that your heart is in line with what God's heart is. And then, then you can pretty much ask for anything and he'll give it to you. But if your heart is, uh, is far from God or is selfish in nature, is living your truth, not his truth, then you're going to have problems. Right. And, and that's really what we saw in this story in David's life where for a, at least one moment in his life, he said, not God's truth, not God's heart, mine. Yeah. Let's get into that for a second. Let's do it. Um, so D- David has this moment of success where he puts his leadership on what I would call cruise control. Mm. He's just chilling out in the palace. He sends his men. 
his, we talked a little bit about it in last week's uh, podcast, these mighty men, right? He sends all of his men out to battle. And the verse that, that talks about this says, in the time in, when the kings typically go to war. Yeah. The kings go to war. Not the armies, but the kings go to war. David is absent. Um, how does his passivity lead to his downfall? Yeah, anytime you find yourself strolling around, I think as a guy, mm -hmm. you are probably strolling towards disaster, yeah. right? And in this particular case, we see a king who is bored with success mm -hmm. and kind of what we were just talking about in that time in the spring when kings go to war, previous to Saul, it was God himself who would go out to war with, and God's not going to get bored of of saving his people, right. right? That he doesn't lose interest. Delivering his this is someone who yeah. has no interest in time. Interesting. And so what we see in David's story is what everyone should remember is you, you can't get sick of what God has in store for Ooh, you. Good word. And so what precedes that is basically David and his mighty men and the armies, they're going around the countryside and they are just like, demolishing these pagan people. So they're almost a Romans one judgment on these Absolutely. surrounding people. Absolutely. But David gets bored and his mind starts to wander and he says to himself, well, there's a beautiful woman over there and, and I would like to have her. And this story as it plays out, we talked about it a bit, but this is like something from, I don't know what you want to call it, like Shakespeare or, yeah, it's very maybe, Shakespeare. or, or it's HBO. So much intrigue. So Uriah was one of David's, I guess you'd call him. I don't know if they were friends, but they were at least very close colleagues. Mm -hmm. He was part of his, what we it, called it, last week, his round table. His round table. His elite men. And he knows who the woman is before he does what he does. Mm -hmm. So he... He sees a beautiful woman. He knows this woman is married to one of his closest um, people to him. He has his way with her. He gets her pregnant. But then he's like, I got to bury this. He goes, he goes, he, he gets like creative. <laughs> he gets creative with his deception, man. Right. He was so bored. He had time to <laughs> think about how he was going to make this go away. So his first um, thing that he tries to do, we didn't talk about this, is I'm trying to just say this a little bit politely. He knows that the woman is pregnant, mm -hmm. so he tries to pin that pregnancy on Uriah. Right. So he calls him home from the battle, and Uriah was not bored of doing everything that David was supposed to do. So we kind of see him as a foil here, and he, he tries to convince him to come home, have a drink, and go spend some time with the old lady, yeah. if you know what I'm trying to say. But Uriah is much more pious than David in this moment. He says, yeah. no, because all the other guys are out in the field. They're still camped out. They're still at battle. Mm -hmm. He sleeps at David's, well, I guess we get the idea of the palace's doorstep. He yeah. wouldn't do it. So that foils, Foiled again. Foils. <laughs> so then David decides to have this man killed. Yeah. I mean, that is a betrayal that among amongst every decent human, but particularly guys, I mean, there's nothing lower right. than like a backstabber. And literally, he's going to get this guy. Yeah, he's going to get it. He's going to kill him. Right. And even his generals are like, whoa, hello. But the thing is about this is like the concept around David's betrayal here, 
I find it so interesting because there's not many people out there who had the power to pull this off. David, in his position as king, he abuses his position as king to cover his tracks, whereas a normal person wouldn't be able to do that. I mean, that's the concept of like power corrupting and ultimate power corrupting ultimately. You know, he just, because he can, he does. And it's, it's, it's pretty nasty stuff. It gets pretty low here for David. And the thing of it is, is we, we almost see when David is surrounded by men mm-hmm. who he trusts, who are on the same page with him, he's not doing what's wise in his own eyes. Right. There's almost this, uh, where they say there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. There's good check positive there, peer pressure. There, good, right? There's enforcement of like the dude code or whatever you right. want to call it. <laughs> dude code, right. And in this particular situation, he, you, you get this idea that David's alone. He has a vacuum of, you know, right. help and support. But if he was out to war like he was supposed to be, he would be surrounded by these people. And mm. now he's kind of holed up in the castle by bored. himself. He's bored. And it's funny, when I originally thought I was going to preach this sermon, I thought it was going to be more about leadership in this thing. Mm. This idea of, you know, God has a plan for everyone's life. Mm. And when you sense you are on it and you start to see fruit in your ministry, fruit in your marriage, fruit in whatever it is you're doing, mm-hmm. don't get bored. Mm-hmm. Don't cast out uh, Christians or people who are in your inner circle. And this applies to men and women who are right. pouring into your life. Um, don't get sick of winning, mm-hmm. especially when you're on mission. And that's what David was doing up to this point. And, um, you know, it, it took a turn towards something else, but... This is perfect for the rewind because I noticed that um, despite David's flaws, his comeback story is really what makes this something worth learning about and teaching about because it doesn't get any lower than an adulterer, murderer, um, deadbeat king. And that's what he is in, in this, you know, 2 Samuel 12 and 13. But then he comes back. And it's just something to remember um, that the king is just a man. Yep. And every man at some point is going to let you down. So he he tends, and this is the difference I think between David and Saul. Um, when da- when Saul is confronted with his sin, he digs his heels in and blames everybody else. Mm. When so David is acting like Saul here. I mean, David's throwing the spear, trying to pin Uriah against the wall for a I mean, season. Yeah, yeah, he's, for sure. He's, he's get he's he's letting his power corrupt him. But when he is confronted with his sin, he um, he owns it. And I think that's a huge part of of any person's male, female. You know, when we are given a conference, when we're giving a um, a showing of where we are, and we're not right with God. It's really how you respond to that that makes the difference. And Nathan, the prophet, walks into David and tells him what he did was wrong, that God knows about it. Mm-hmm. David knew that anyway, but right. sometimes you have to hear that. He tells him right to his face. Yeah, he's not polite. He's not being. Uh, he's not it, deferring to the king here. You know, we almost get this uh, like image of like big wooden doors slamming and mm-hmm. torches on the wall and like yep. a robe blowing. He, he points his finger right in his face essentially yeah. and says... I love how he does it, though. It is so unique. He makes David pass judgment on himself. Mm. It's so cool how he talks about this uh, shepherd and takes takes the sheep from the other person who doesn't have it. And, and David's like, 
David is furious at this made-up story. And then he says, you are the man. You are the man. And I guess this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but let's go down it. And so in, we talked about today's culture. We're people without a king. Mm-hmm. And we kind of do have a king. I guess we have a president. But instead of the culture and people in the church looking mm-hmm. for a perfect candidate, yep. we should be looking for a David, mm-hmm. meaning someone who has a heart for God right. but may or may not make mistakes at mm-hmm. times. But when he does... Mm-hmm. He has a Nathan around him. Right. So the real question isn't, sir or ma'am, you want to run the country. You know, what are your, you know, let's see your perfect family and your perfect, have right. you ever, you know, done anything wrong? But what we really should be asking is, if a man of God walks into the Oval Office, mm-hmm. points his finger at you and says, I'm your spiritual, you know, maybe mm-hmm. his pastor or whatever, and says, what you did was wrong, mm-hmm. is he going to get on his knees? Yeah. Or is he going to say, get out of here and slam the door and move on? When's the last time you heard a a president or a leader, governor, you know, would, you know, say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? If you want to see a real political revival in mm-hmm. this country, I don't care, man, woman, whatever party, right. if the president of the United States turned on the the cameras and mm-hmm. said, I'm having a press conference at six o'clock PM on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And this person looked right into the camera, told the people he did something wrong, mm-hmm. begged God for his forgiveness, mm-hmm. fasted and prayed. Mm-hmm. That would change the political discourse in this country forever. Yep. Because we, we have lost this sense of, of religious identity that, um, you know, the only way people without a King can survive mm-hmm is if there's a shared religious identity, a shared moral belief. And we can quibble about maybe some doctrines here or there, but that would be something that I've never seen it in my lifetime. And, um, you you know, I know, I think it was a couple weeks before Gettysburg, President Lincoln, and this was through um, a written communication, Mm -hmm. but he called for a day of fasting and prayer. I mean, could you imagine, I don't, this isn't, you know, this is ancient history. This the, is the, the 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 politics podcast is another podcast, right. but I don't care who you are. If, if this kind of religious identity to his people, it would change. It would change the course of a culture, I believe. And that's part of David's story here is that um, he didn't really do this publicly because they didn't have mass media or whatever. But um, a king that knows he was wrong and knows where to turn, mm-hmm. it's actually. Now, what was the, the shocking part of the story? What was the title of your message? Heart of Repentance yeah. or Repentant Heart. I mean, repentance, I, I think of another word, just humble. A humble heart. A repentant heart. They're, they're, they're synonyms of each other. And that's what David did. He yeah. ate the humble pie. He did. When Nathan walked in, and David paid dearly for his sin. Yeah, he did. He paid dearly for it. Well, let's, let's get into that because sure. that's kind of where we're going to next. And uh, at one point... You mentioned that David had some knowledge about the eternal destination of his son. Now, David, just for some context, David was judged by God, and God um, says the, the the word says God struck his son, and he was sick, and yep. then he died. Yes. Um, so David lost his son because of his 
his judgment and his bad behavior. So, but you said that there was some knowledge about the eternal destination of his son that comforted him. What are you referring to when you talk about that? Well, it's clear from the text that David had the utmost confidence that he would see his son again. Mm-hmm. But that was contingent on his behavior, not his son's behavior or right. God's behavior. Right. So there is this idea that um, I think, so when I said, I think David knew something, what I think David knew was, I think David understood more about what us in the New Testament era as modern Christians would understand as um, the, the resurrection of the dead mm-hmm. and what that really looked like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we don't get a sense of it from the text directly, but David's reaction isn't how most people would react. Mm-hmm. He had the utmost confidence in the afterlife or heaven or whatever we want to call mm-hmm. it. And we actually see um, David interact with, uh, the scriptures call it most of the time, the angel of the Lord. Yeah. And you know, I have a genuine conviction that some of these people in the Old Testament had, I guess, basically seen what they call a Christophany. Yeah. Um, that they've they've seen Jesus in his, I guess, pre-incarnate pre, form, pre-birth body, yep. or whatever you want to call pre-incarnate it, pre-incarnate form. And um, we don't see it in First Samuel twelve, but there's a story, and this is actually another important part of David's story, where later in David's life, he decides to have a census. Mm-hmm. I believe it was of it's such the, a strange story because it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal, but it was for whatever reason, for whatever I, reason, just my quick take on it. It was a census of the military. Yeah. And I think that was just God's way of reminding David that I'm actually the general here. Mm-hmm. You're just, yeah. you're, you're kind of the puppet here. But so David, he calls for a census and he gets judged for this too. So mm-hmm. this is another one of the low, low moments in his low life. Moments, yeah. And he's given basically, a choice on how the 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 people were going to suffer for his his failure. How the punishment would be would be handed down, right? And he he basically decides on a plague. Mm-hmm. And David he he actually says what's interesting that a plague is actually more just than some of these other mm-hmm. forms of punishment because um, there's no I guess you would say there's no class system or a hierarchy to it a plague right. is what a plague is right. it, it just it's, spreads it's everybody and uh, i'm gonna find the verse here he actually has a conversation though doesn't he? or he sees sees this angel right. so the angel of the lord comes to him and he's having a conversation with this angel christophany like just like you and i are having yeah, here. it's amazing this isn't like uh a voice from heaven or right. whatever but so, speaking into his mind so <laughs> who would have the likeness of god mm. the power of god the volition of God. The volition of God yeah. looks like a person and would have a conversation with you face to face. Let me see here. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 Israelite men died. Then God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But when the angel was about to destroy the city, the Lord looked, relented concerning the destruction, and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough. Withdraw your hand now. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. 
When David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, with his sword drawn in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem, David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face down. David said to God, Wasn't I the one who gave the order to count the people? I am the one who has sinned and acted wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and against my father's family, but don't let the plague be against your people. So so this is a story in David's life that we see that he has interacted with this. Yeah. Um, and we don't have a ton of time, but you'll see that this angel of the Lord character in many times in the Old Testament that comes in the likeness of a man mm-hmm. that has a name that is hard. He even says one time, uh, my name is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Isaiah talks about the, the wonderfulness that the Messiah is going to bring. So I do think that when we read the Old Testament from a New Testament perspective, we have to understand that when Colossians says that Jesus was before everything, mm-hmm. that includes throughout these stories in the yeah. Old Testament. And we can't be 100% sure, but I think David's reaction to his faith in heaven tells us that he had some knowledge perhaps that we don't we can't derive from right. the text. Yeah. He was he was pretty confident. I mean, uh, and I, we, we see this Christophany in the life of Abraham on this, yes. this uh, Sodom and Gomorrah story. We see it um, in the story of Samson with his parents, the visitor. There, there's all these Christophanies throughout Scripture, and and it seems like the role of that person is to um, to be God, the volition of God, the prerogative of God, the personality of God um, to the people he's trying to direct. And I'll say real quick in the Samson story. The Samson's father tells his wife, mm-hmm. I have seen God, yeah. but I have not died. Right. So he he is comparing this angel of the Lord figure to God himself. Right. And we we don't we don't know how many times David has interacted, but I think we can really get a sense that David knew that there was going to be forgiveness for sin down the road mm-hmm. for him. And yeah. that was the only mechanism through which he would ever see his son again. Yeah. Because we know that David's son did nothing wrong. Right. And we're not going to get into why God took the child home, how it happened or whatever, but it's clear that David's perception is, this is a judgment on me, not my child. My child is innocent. Right. And we know that David values that that innocence means that, um, you know, this isn't a hell-bound child or something like that, like some some people teach. And um, I think it is important to talk about that for a second because— when we think about, like, in our um, understanding of Scripture, we believe in what we call an age of accountability. Right. This, uh, and, and we kind of give it this, this nebulous age of accountability until the child is able to fully understand what they're doing. They're not held accountable for the sins. It's not something that we just say to make people feel better. Right. I mean, David understood this. He was very, very clear that this child— who was born into a sinful world, who was actually out of the womb, you know, this concept was not going to hell for for his quote-unquote original sin. Mm-hmm. So we understand this to be like this age of accountability, and we can never really put a date on it or a time on it. Like, But Jewish tradition does. Jewish tradition does. Jewish tradition puts a date, uh, a time stamp on the age of accountability at 12 years old. This is where a child would have their bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, and they become, through the mechanism of teaching, 
and um, and culture, culture uh, with their families, they have become fully aware and fully knowledgeable of the consequences and the, the uh, terribleness of their sin. And now they are, by the culture, by the community, being labeled a human, like an adult, not a human, <laughs> an adult. And that's when they are accountable for their sins. So all the responsibilities of of manhood is put on a 12-year-old when it comes to a, a spiritual sin state. So the Jewish people do put, so I, I don't know, I don't know that that's correct biblically, because it's, but J- Jewish tradition does put a time on it. And one thing that we can feel confident in that doctrine is the God who we know, mm-hmm. the God that we serve, and we get a glimpse, and it's probably just a glimpse of his character from Ooh, the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That isn't and, and, you know, the Lord will forgive me if I teach something wrong, but it's hard for me to justify seeing in God's character that that child mm-hmm. that David lost mm-hmm. or any young child that dies, mm-hmm. that he has separation for eternity from him yeah. in mind for someone who couldn't even conceptualize what sin right. is. Um, and even more so, Watch out if you can do it and you don't. Right. See, that's the difference yeah. where we see justice and love from God at the same time. I ha- I feel very confident that um, David would see his child again. Yeah, and and it's hard. It's a hard passage. You know, we have to understand that David was the one being judged here, mm-hmm. not the child. The child um, was literally removed from the situation as a judgment for David was not struck down as a punishment for the child or for the or for the uh, um, the situation by which it was brought into this world. The child is innocent and God removes the child as a punishment for David, but it's not uh, God judging the child for you know killing the I think that's part of the, God struck the child is it's one of these things that like people have a real hard time with but um, it's, it's not an easy passage to, to navigate, but it is it is uh, pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's one of those ones where you just have to deal with it, mm-hmm. and um, but that doesn't mean that we can't learn uh, from it, and we have to we have to address God's word in its entirety. Mm-hmm. But uh, the story of David, it's a uh, it's up and down, isn't it? It is something. Yeah, it is something. And I wish we had more time to to talk about every little aspect of David's life, but um, I think we're going to hit at least the high notes yeah. in this series. And I think that that's probably good for today. Sure. And, uh, anything last words you want to say? I have to say, uh, sitting on this side of the table, this, this was a lot of pressure. I have to say, like, <laughs> it's like, okay, it's one thing to to study and preach, but then you say, okay, now, you know, tell me some more. What did you What did you leave? <laughs> yeah. So, um, thank you everybody for for listening to uh, to this because I'll tell you what this uh, this was almost more nerve wracking than preaching the sermon. I'll be yeah, honest. I had with more you. fun on this side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the hot <laughs> side of the seat, table. Yeah. yeah. Well, that does it for today. Thank you for uh, listening, and I ask you to uh, like, subscribe, uh, give us a five-star review, tell your friends about the uh, the Rewind podcast, and uh, we just hope that this was encouraging to you, and we look forward to seeing you on future episodes. So have a great week. God bless. God bless, everybody. Matthew 28.